0: Ancient Egypt, The Light of the World, Book 4, Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Mysteries of Amenta, by Gerald Massey, read by Graham Dunlop, edited by Darren Grimes. The Egyptian Book of the Dead contains the oldest known religious writings in the world. As it comes to us, it is mainly Osirian, but the Osirian group of gods was the latest of all the divine dynasties. Although these, as shown at Abydos by Professor Flinders Petrie, will account for some 10,000 years of time in Egypt. The antiquity of the collection is not to be judged by the age of the coffins in which the papyrus rolls were found. Amongst other criteria of length and time, the absence of Amen, Maut, and Khonsu supplies a gauge the presence and importance of Tum offers another, whilst the persistence of Apt and her son Sebek Chorus tells of a tale of times incalculably remote. As a key to the mysteries and the method of the book, it must be understood at starting that the eschatology or doctrine of last things was founded in the mold of the mythology, and that the one can only be unraveled by means of the other, Moreover, there is plenty of evidence to prove that the ritual was based on the mythology, and not the mythology upon the ritual. The serpent of darkness was the evil reptile in mythology. In theology, it becomes the deluder of mankind. Here the beginning was with darkness itself, which was the deceiver from the first. The serpent, being a figure of darkness, was continued by theology as the official adversary of souls in the eschatological domain. The eschatology of the ritual, then, can only be comprehended by means of the mythology. And it is the mythos out of view that has made the ritual so profoundly difficult to understand. Reading it may be compared with a dance seen by a deaf man who does not hear the music to which the motion is timed, and who has no clue to the characters being performed in the dumb drama. You cannot understand what they are doing and saying as man is in another world without knowing what was thought and said by human beings in this concerning that representation of the nature powers, the gods and goddesses which constitutes mythology. Amenta is a huge fossil formation crowded with the dead forms of a past life in which the horny conspectuities of learned ignorance will only see dead shells for a modern museum. As a rule, Egypt is always treated differently from the rest of the world. No Egyptologist has ever dreamed that the ritual still exists under the disguise of both the Gnostic and Canonical Gospels, or that it was the fountainhead and source of all the books of wisdom claimed to be divine. In the mythology, that is, in the primitive mode of rendering the phenomena of external nature, Osiris, as light-giver in the moon, was torn in fourteen pieces during the latter half of the lunation by the evil Sut, the opposing power of darkness. He was put together again and reconstituted by his son, beloved Horus, the young solar god. This representation could not have been made until it was known that the lunar light was replenished monthly from the solar source. Then Horus, as the sun god and the vanquisher of Sut, the power of darkness, could be called the reconstitutor of Osiris in the moon. In that way, a foundation was laid in natural fact according to the science of mythology, and a mystery bequeathed to the eschatology which is doctrinal. For as it had been with the dismembered, mutilated God in the mythos, so it was with the Osiris deceased, who has to be reconstructed for a future life and put together bit by bit as a spiritual body, in one of the great mysteries of Amenta. In the mythos, Har-Maku was the solar god of both horizons, or the double equinox, who represented the sun of today that rose up from the netherworld as conqueror of darkness, to join the west and east together on the Mount of Glory, as the connecting link of continuity and time betwixt yesterday and tomorrow. The type was continued in the eschatology when Harmaku became the Horus of the Greater Mysteries, Horus of the religious legend who suffered, died, and was buried in Amenta, and who rose again from the dead like the winter sun, as Horus in spirit, lifting aloft the insignia of his sovereignty. This was he who made the pathway, not merely betwixt the two horizons, but to eternal life, as son of Ra, the Holy Spirit in the eschatology. The intermediate link in the mythos, which connects the solar orb with yesterday, is now the intermediary betwixt the two worlds and two lives in time and eternity. This is he who exclaims, I am the link, I am the everlasting one. I am Horus, who steppeth onwards through eternity. This was he who, in the words of the Gnostic Paul, broke down the wall of partition and made both one that he might create in himself one new man, and reconcile them both in one body. Even as the double Horus Har Sam Tawi, was made one when blended and established as one person in another mystery of Amenta. The mythology repeated in the ritual is mainly solar and Osirian, but with glimpses of the lunar and the stellar mythos from the beginning. For example, Apt the ancient Genetrix, as goddess of the great bear constellation, and leader of the heavenly host, was the kindler of the starry sparks by night in the mythology. In the eschatology she has continued as the mistress of divine protections for the soul. And she who had been the kindler of the lights in the darkness of night was now propitiated as rekindler of life from the spark in the dark of death. Ra, in the mythos, is the solar god represented by the sun in heaven, and in the eschatology he became the god and spirit who is called the Holy Spirit and first person in the Trinity, which consisted of Atum, the Father God, Horus, the sun, and Ra, the Holy Spirit, the three that were also one in the Osirian cult, first as three forms of the solar god and next as three forms of the god and spirit. It is thus we are enabled to trace the formation of the Egyptian eschatology in the mold of the mythology. There is no death in the Osirian religion, only decay and change and periodic renewal, only evolution and transformation in the domain of matter and the transubstantiation into spirit. In the so-called death of Osiris it is rebirth, not death, exactly the same as in the changes of external nature. As the close of day, the solar orb went down and left the sun god staring blankly in the dark of death. Tot, the moon god met him in Amenta, with the eye of Horus as the light that was to illuminate the darkness of the subterranean world. In the annual rendering on the third day, light was generated by renewal in the moon. Thus Osiris rose again, and a doctrine of the resurrection on the third day was bequeathed to the eschatology. The sun in sinking was buried as a body or mummy in the nether world of Amenta. When rising again at dawn, it was transformed into a soul, a supreme elemental soul that preceded the God and Spirit. This was in the mythology. In the eschatology, the same types were reapplied to the human soul, which was imaged in the flesh as the inarticulate, blind, and impubescent Horus who died bodily but was preserved in mummy form to make his transformation into the luminous Sahu, when he rose again in glory as Horus, the divine adult. I am the resurrection and the life is the perfect interpretation of an Egyptian picture that was copied by Denon at Philae. Divine Horus is portrayed in the act of raising the deceased Osiris from the bier by presenting to him the Ankh sign of life. He was the life in person who performed the resurrection, and therefore is the resurrection and the life. As such, he simply stands for a soul considered to be the divine offspring of God the Father, not for any historical character that makes preposterous pretensions to possess miraculous power. Previously, he had been the resurrection and the life as solar vivifier in the physical domain, or otherwise stated in the mythology. It was this difference betwixt the mythology and eschatology that constituted the lesser and the greater mysteries. The lesser and their origin were partly sociological. There were customs and ceremonial rites of totemism. The greater mysteries are eschatological and religious. For instance, the transformation of the youth into the adult or the girl into a woman in the totemic mysteries was applied doctrinally to the transformation of the soul in the mysteries of Amenta. With the more primitive races, such as the Arunta of Australia, the mysteries remain chiefly totemic and sociological, though interfused with the religious sentiment. The greater mysteries were perfected in the Egyptian religion, to be read of in the ritual as the mysteries of Amenta. From the beginning to the end of the written ritual, we shall find it is based upon the mythical representation which was primary. The mythical representation was first applied to the phenomena of external nature. and This mode of representation was continued and reapplied to the human soul in the eschatology. Egyptian myths, then, are not inventions made to explain the ritual. Totemic representation was earlier. This mode was continued in the mythology. Ritual arose from the rendering becoming religious in the phase of eschatology and did not originate as an explanation of mythology and totemism. But not until the different phases are discriminated can the ritual be read, that which has been founded on it understood, or the mental status of the thinkers ascertained. In the mythology, the solar god, who is in his primary form, was Ta, Keper, is the maker of a complete circle for the sun as founder and opener of the nether earth, This solar pathway being a figure of forever, a type of the eternal working in time. In the eschatology, the God in spirit who is Ra, the Holy Spirit, is the God who has created, or opened out, eternity. The one is on the physical basis, the other on the spiritual plane. In the mythology, the seven primordial powers that pass through various phases, elemental, stellar, or lunar, always in a group of seven, finally become the seven souls of Ra, who attain supremacy, as the sun god in mythology, and also as the Holy Spirit. Thence came the doctrine of the seven souls in man, as seven gifts of the Holy Spirit in the eschatology. In the mythical representation, Sothis, on New Year's Day, was the bringer forth of the child that was mothered by Hathor or Isis. The type is employed in the eschatology of the ritual, when the man is, in a menta, prays for rebirth as a pure spirit, and says, May I live, or rise up and go forth, from between the closed knees of Sothis. The rebirth of the child in Sothis was the renewal of the year, Sothis being represented in the feminine character by Hathor as the bringer forth from betwixt her knees, or, as elsewhere rendered, her kaptu, i.e. her thighs. So the manes are reborn from between the thighs of Nut in the mysteries of Amenta, and here the visible birthplace of spirits perfected is localized in Sothis the opener of the year and bringer of the babe to birth upon the horizon, or the mount of glory. In this way, the skies of night were made luminous with starry lore that was mythical in the astronomy and the words of a divine wisdom in the later eschatology, when the mysteries were represented in Amenta. Instead of flashlights showing pictures on the housetops of a city after dark, the stars were used by the Egyptians to illustrate the mysteries that were out of sight. The triumph of Horus over Sut, or over Apop the dragon of drought and darkness, was illustrated in the stellar mythos when, in the annual round Orion, Rose and the scorpion constellation set upon the opposite horizon. The Egyptian nearing death could lie and look upon a future figure in the starry heavens. As it was with Osiris or Horus, so would be with him. The way had been mapped out. The guiding stars were visible. His bier, or coffin of new birth, could be seen in the meskin of the mother. He rose again in spirit as the babe of Sathas. He joined the company of the holy Sahus, in Orion with the pilot Horus at the lookout of the bark he saw the golden isles in a heaven of perpetual peace to which the pole was the eternal mooring post. Whilst he was passing from this life, the bark of Ra was making ready for his soul to go on board. The foundation of Amenta itself has yet to be delineated. It is a tangible threshold to the other world, the secret but solid earth of eternity which was opened up by Ta, when he and his seven Camus, Erected the Tat pillar that was founded in the winter solstice as the figure of a stability that was to be eternal. In the mythos, the Ta is a type of sun in the winter solstice that has the power of returning from the lowest depth and thus completing the eternal road. In the eschatology, it is the god in person as Ta Sakiri or Osiris, the backbone and support of the universe. Horus erecting the tat in Sechem, was raising Osiris from the sepulchre. The father re-erected as the son in the typical resurrection and continuity of the human spirit in the afterlife. The figure of Amsu Horus rising in the resurrection or coming forth with member erect, has two characters: one in the mythology, one in the eschatology. In the mythology, he images the phallus of the sun and the generative force that fecundates the mother earth. In the eschatology, the image of erection is repeated as a symbol of resurrection, and in this phase, that supposed phallic god, the figure of regenerative force, is typical of the resurrection or re-erection of the mortal and spirit. Horus, the child with finger to mouth, is portrayed in the sign of the scales at the autumn equinox the point at which the sun begins to lessen and become impotent. This the Egyptians termed the Little Sun, which when personified was infant Horus, who sank down into Hades as the suffering sun to die in the winter solstice and be transformed to rise again and return in all his glory and power in the equinox of Easter. This was matter of the solar mythos, also of life in vegetation and in the water of the inundation. In the eschatology, Horus the Child is typical of the human soul which was incarnated in the blood of Isis, the Immaculate Virgin, to be made flesh and to be born in mortal guise on earth as the son of Seb, and to suffer all the afflictions of mortality. He descended to Amenta as the soul sinking in the dark of death, and as the soul he was transfigured, changed, and glorified to rise again and become immortal, as a spirit perfected according to the teachings in the eschatology. A brief list will show how certain zootypes that were founded in the mythological representation were continued in the eschatology. The third column is eschatological. The beetle, the sun as transformer, the god as self-evolver. The serpent, renewal, eternal life. The Ibis, Messenger, Word or Logos. The Jackal, Seer in the Dark, Guide in Death. The Heifer, the Moon, Virgin Mother. The Hawk, Soul of the Sun, Ra, the Divine Spirit. Fish, Calf or Lamb, Youthful Solar God Reborn. The Messiah. In the mythology, the Apap reptile lies in the lake of darkness, where the sun goes down, as the eternal adversary of the light, with which it is at war all night and all the winter through. He seeks to bar the way of the sun in the netherworld. In the eschatology, it is the human soul instead of the sun that has to struggle with the opposing monster in making the passage of Amenta. The same scenery served, as shown before, to illustrate the mystery in a religious and spiritual phase. Chapter 64 of the ritual is known to have been extant in the time of King Septi, of the First Dynasty. The Usafis of Menetho. That was over 6,000 years ago. It is a chapter from the Book of Life to be recited on coming forth today that one may not be kept back on the path of the Tuat, whether on entering or in coming forth, for taking on all the forms which one desireth, and that the person may not die a second time. If this chapter be known, the person is made triumphant on earth, as in the netherworld, and he performeth all things which are done by the living. The chapter was then so ancient that it had been lost sight of, and was discovered on a plinth of the God of the Nu or Sekru, Bark, by a master builder in the time of King Septi the Victorious. When this chapter was composed, the primary nature powers had been unified in the one God, who was represented as the Lord of two faces, who seeth by his own light. The Lord of Resurrections, who cometh forth from the dusk, and whose birth is from the house of death, that is, as the solar God, who was Atum on the horizon and Horus on the other. Hence the Lord of Two Faces. The Supreme God thus described is the Father in one character, the Son in the other. The man is, speaking in the character of the Son, says of the Father, He is I, and I am He. At that time the earth had been tunneled by Ta and his pygmy workers, and a spirit world created on the new terra firma in the earth of eternity, over which the solar God effused his radiance nightly, when he lighted up the tuat with his indescribable glories. The Lord of Resurrections, as a solar god, had then become the Lord of Resurrections as the generator of ever-living souls. Egyptian theology then was based upon the mythology which preceded it and supplied the mold. So is it with the Hebrew and Christian theology. But here is the difference betwixt them. The mythology remained extant in Egypt so that the beginnings of the theology could be known and tested and were known to the mystery teachers and the origins referred to for the purpose of verification. The commentary, which has been partially incorporated with the next of chapter 17, survives to show the development of the theology from mythology and the need of explanations for the ritual to be understood. At it was the necessary explanations which constituted the gnosis or wisdom of the mystery teachers of the secret word, whereas the Hebrew and Christian theologies have been accepted minus the necessary knowledge of the origins, the means of applying the comparative method and checking false assumptions. In Christianity, the mysteries have been manufactured out of mist, and it has been taken for granted that the mist was impenetrable and never to be seen through whereas the mysteries of the ritual can be followed in the two phases of mythology and eschatology. The main difference betwixt the mythos and the eschatology is that the one is represented in the earth of time, the other in the earth of eternity. If we take the doctrine of a resurrection from the dead, the soul that rose again at first in mythology was a soul of the returning light, a soul of life and vegetation, or other of the elemental powers, a soul in external nature. For instance, a soul of life, as source of drink, was apprehended in the element of water, seen also in the plant and figured in the fish. The superhuman type was divinized in Horus. A soul of life, as source of breath, was apprehended in the breeze, and imaged as the panting of a lion. The superhuman type was divinized in Shu, The soul of food was apprehended in the earth and represented by the goose that laid the egg. The superhuman type was divinized in Seb. In the Masonic and all other known mysteries, ancient or modern, the initiate has his eyes bandaged so that he may enter the reception room blindfold. This figure in the Egyptian mysteries is Horus in the Dark, sometimes called the Blind Horus, an RF. In the mythos, Horus is the sun in the darkness of Amenta, and the depths of the winter solstice. He is the prototype of blind Orion, hungering for the morn, and of Samson, eyeless and Gaza. The character was founded in the mythical representation of natural phenomena, and was afterwards continued in the eschatology. The same type serves in the two categories of phenomena, which are here distinguished as the mythical and the eschatological. In the latter, the sightless Horus images the human soul in the darkness of death, where it is blind from lack of outer vision. The duality may serve to explain the twofold rendering of the eyes. According to the hieroglyphic imagery, Horus is without eyes or sightless in one character. He is also portrayed in another as the Prince of Sight, or of Double Sight. This, according to the mythos, is a figure of the risen sun and of dawn upon the coffin lid of Osiris in Amenta. In the eschatology it is Horus, lord of the two eyes, or double vision, that is, of second sight, the seer in spirit with the beatific vision, which was attained by him in death. The change from one character to the other is represented in the mysteries by the unbandaging of the initiate's eyes, which are intentionally dazzled by the glory of the lights. The Egyptian Book of the Dead is the one sole record of this twofold basis of the mysteries. Enough has now been cited to show the method of the ritual and the mode in which the eschatology of the Egyptian religion was founded in the mold of the pre extant mythology. The Book of the Dead is the Egyptian Book of Life. It is the pre-Christian Word of God. This we learn from the account which it gives of itself. It is attributed to Ra as the inspiring Holy Spirit. Ra was the Father in Heaven, who has the title of Huhi, the Eternal from which we derive the Hebrew name of Ihua. The word was given by God the Father to the ever-coming Son as Manifestor for the Father. This was Horus, who as the coming Son of saw or Yusu, and as the Prince of Peace, ayu M. hotep Horus, the Son, is the word in person. Hence the speaker in the character of Horus says, I utter his words, the words of Ra. To the men of the present generation, and I repeat his words to him who is deprived of breath. That is as Horus, the Sayer or Logos, who utters the words of Ra, the Father in Heaven, into the living on earth, and to the breathless manes in Amenta when he descends into Hades or the later Hell to preach to the spirits in prison. The word or the sayings thus originated with Ra, the Father in Heaven, they were uttered by Horus, the Son and when written down in hieroglyphics by the fingers of Tan for human guidance then supplied a basis for the Book of the Dead. It had been ordained by Ra that his words, such as those that bring about the resurrection and the glory, should be written down by the divine scribe Tatan, to make the word truth, and to effect the triumph of Osiris against his adversaries. And it is proclaimed, in the opening chapter, that this mandate has been obeyed by TOT. The ritual purports to contain the gnosis of salvation from the second death, together with the ways and means of attaining eternal life, as these were acted in the drama of the Osirian mysteries. Hence, the Osiris says that freedom from perdition can be assured by means of this book, in which he trusts and by which he steadfastly abides. The object of the words of power, the magical invocations, the funeral ceremonies, the purgatorial trials, is the resurrection of the mortal to the life which is everlasting. This opening chapter is described as the words which bring about the resurrection on the Mount of Glory, and the closing chapter shows the deceased upon the summit of attainment. He has joined the lords of eternity in the circle of Osiris and in the likeness of his own human self. The very figure which he had on earth, but changed and glorified. Therefore, the most exact and comprehensive title for the Book of the Dead, now put together in a hundred and eighty-six chapters, would be the Ritual of the Resurrection. The books of the divine words written down by TOT are in keeping of Horus the Son, who is addressed as Him Who Sees the Father. The Manes come to him with a copy of the writings by means of which he prevails on his journey through Amanta, like Pilgrim, with his roll. He exclaims, O thou great seer who beholdest his father, O keeper of the books of Tot, Here I am glorified and filled with soul and power, and provided with the writings of Tot, the secrets of which are divine for lightening the darkness of the nether-earth. With these the manis is accoutred and equipped, The word of God, personified in Horus, preceded the written word of God, and when the words of power were written down by Tot, the scribe of truth, they were assigned to Horus as the Logia of the Lord, and preserved as the precious records of him who was the word in person, first the word of power as the founder, then the word in truth or made truth as the fulfiller. The divine words, when written, constituted the scriptures, earliest of which are those ascribed to Hermes or Thoth, and reputed author of all the sacred writings. And now we find that both the word in person and the written word, together with the doctrine of the word according to the ancient wisdom, are more or less extant and living still in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. The magical words of power, when written down by Tot, became the nucleus of the ritual which is late in comparison with the astronomical mythology and other forms of sign language, and belongs mainly to the Osirian religion. The mystical word of power from the first was female, apt. At Ombos was worshipped as the living word. The supreme type of this power born upon the head of Shu is the hinder part of a lioness, her sign of sexual potency. The thigh, or cap, shavapt, is also the typical yurhika, and it is the symbol of the great magical power. The yurhika, or magical sign, preceded words, and words preceded the writings. Great magical words of power are ascribed to Isis, whose word of power in the human sphere was personified in Horus the Child, her word that issued out of the silence. This is the word that was made flesh in a mortal likeness, the soul derived from blood. Child Horus, however, manifests in diverse phenomena as the word of power, amened by Isis, in the water, in vegetation, in food, and lastly in the virgin mother's blood. The first Horus was the word of power. The second is the word made truth in Horus, ma, keru, by doing it. Horus, the word of power, was the founder who was followed by Horus the Fulfiller. This title does not merely mean the word of truth, the true logos, Celsus, or the true voice, Plutarch, but denotes the word-made truth or law by Horus the Victorious, the father's own anointed son, who fulfilled the word of power. It is the Horus, the word of power, personalized as a little child who survives as the miraculous worker, two or three years old in the Apocryphal Gospels. He is credited with doing these infantine marvels as the word of power in person. He also utters the word of power in performing his amazing miracles. The magical words were orally communicated in the mysteries from mouth to ear, not written to be read. They were to be gotten by heart, and the book of the dead memory is restored to the deceased through the words of power that were stored up in life to be remembered in death. The speaker in chapter 90 says, O thou who restorest memory in the mouth of the dead through the words of power which they possess, let my mouth be opened through the words of power which I possess. That is, by virtue of the gnosis, memory was restored by the deceased remembering the divine words. Now Plato taught that a knowledge of past lives and a human pre-existence was restored to persons in this life by means of memory. The origin of the doctrine is undoubtedly Egyptian but it was made out by a perversion of the original teaching. This restoration of or through memory occurs to the manes in Amenta after death, and the things remembered appertain to the past life on earth. Plato has misapplied it to past lives and pre-existence of human beings dwelling on the earth. The words of power were not only spoken. They were likewise represented in the equipment of the mummy, sometimes called its ornaments such as the word of salvation by the blood of Isis with the red tet-buckle, the word of durability by the white stone, the word of resurrection by the Scarabeus, the word of eternal life by the cross, called the Ankh. These were forms of the magical words expressed in fetish figures. The manis in Amenta begins his course where he left off on earth when his mouth was closed in death. It is opened once more for him by Ta and Tum, and Ta supplies him with the great magical words of power that open every gate. These were written on the roll of papyrus that is carried in his hand by the pilgrim who makes his progress through the nether regions in the subterranean pathway of the sun. The so-called Book of the Dead, then, here quoted as the ritual for the sake of brevity, is the Egyptian Book of Life. Life now, life hereafter, everlasting life. It was indeed the book of life and salvation, because it contained the things to be done in the life here and hereafter to ensure eternal continuity. The departing soul, when passing away in death, or, as the truer phrase is, when setting into the land of life, clasps and clings to his role for very life. As the book of life, or word of salvation, it was buried in the coffin with the dead when done with on earth it showed the way to heaven objectively as well as subjectively as heaven was mapped out in the astral mythos the man is, enters amenta with a papyrus roll in his hand corresponding to the one that was buried in his coffin this contains the written word of truth the word of magical power the word of life The great question now for him is how far he has made the word of God, Osiris, truth, and established it against the powers of evil in his lifetime on the earth. The word that he carries with him was written by Tat'an, the scribe of truth. Another word has been written in his lifetime by himself, and the record will meet him in the hall of justice on the day of weighing words, when Tat will read the record of life and see how far it tallies with the written word and how far he has fulfilled the word and truth to earn eternal life. The sense of sin and abhorrence of injustice must have been peculiarly keen when it was taught that every word as well as deed was weighed in the balance of truth on the day of reckoning, called the judgment day. The questions confronting the man on entering Amenta are whether he has laid sufficient hold of life to live again in death. Has he acquired consistency and strength or truth of character enough to persist in some other more permanent form of personality? Has he sufficient force to incorporate his soul anew and germinate and grow and burst the mummy bandages in the glorified body of the Sahu? Is he a true mummy? Is the backbone sound? Is his heart in the right place? Has he planted for eternity in the seed field of time? has he made the word of Osiris, the word that was written in the papyrus roll, truth against his enemies. The chapters for opening the tuat, for dealing with the adversary in the nether world, for issuing forth victoriously and thus winning the crown of triumph, for removing displeasure from the heart of the judge, tend to show the ways of attaining the life everlasting by acquiring possession of an eternal soul. The manis is said to be made safe for the place of rebirth in Anu by means of the books of Thoth's divine words, which contain the gnosis or knowledge of the things to be done on earth and in Amenta. The truth is made known by the words of Horus, which were written down by Thoth in the ritual. But the fulfillment depends on the manis making the word truth by doing it. That is the only way of salvation or of safety for the soul the only mode of becoming a true being who would endure as pure spirit forever. The Egyptians had no vicarious atonement, no imputed righteousness, no second-hand salvation. No initiate in the Osirian mysteries could possibly have rested his hope of reaching heaven on the Galilean line to glory. His was the more crucial way of mementa, which the Manes had to treat with the guidance of the word that step by step and act by act he must himself make true. It is said in the rubrical directions of chapter 72 that the man is who knew it on earth and had written it on his coffin will be able to go in and out by day under any form he chooses in which he can penetrate his dwelling place and also make his way to the Aru fields of peace and plenty where he will be flourishing for ever, even as he was on earth. If chapter 91 is known, the manes takes the form of fully equipped spirit, a ku, in the netherworld, and is not imprisoned at any door in Amenta either going in or coming out. Chapter 92 is the one that opens the tomb to the soul and to the shade of a person, that he may come forth today and have the mastery over his feet. The book of giving sustenance to the spirit of the deceased in the underworld delivers the person from all evil things. There was another book wherewith the spirits acquired strength by knowing the names of the gods of the southern sky and of the northern sky. The ritual is preeminently a book of knowledge or wisdom, because it contained the gnosis of the mysteries. Knowledge was all-important. The manis make their passage through Amenta by means of what they know. The deceased, in one of his supplications, says, O thou ship of the garden Aru, let me be conveyed to that bread of thy canal, as thy Father, the Great One, who advanceth in the divine ship, because I know thee. He knew, because, as we see by chapter 99, he had learned the names of every part of the bark in which the spirit sailed. Knowledge was power, knowledge was the gnosis, and the gnosis was the science of the mystery teachers, and the masters of sign language. Ignorance was most dire and deadly. How could one travel in the next world any more than in this without knowing the way? The way in Amenta was indicated topographically, very much in keeping with the ways in Egypt, chief of which was the waterway of the great river. Directions, names, and passwords were furnished in writing, to be placed with the mummy of the deceased. Better still, if these instructions and divine teachings were learned by heart, had been enacted, and the Word made true in the life, then the book of the dead in life became the book of life in death. The Word was given that it might be made truth by doing it as the means of learning the way by knowing the Word. The way of life in three worlds, those of earth, Amenta, and heaven, was by knowing the Word of God and making it true in defiance of all the powers of evil. According to this earlier Bible, death came into the world by ignorance, not by knowledge, as in the Christian travesty of the Egyptian teaching. As Hermes says, the wickedness of a soul is ignorance. The virtue of a soul is knowledge. There was no life for the soul except in knowing, and no salvation but in doing the truth. The human soul of Neferuben in the picture is the wise or instructed soul, one of the ku-akaru, he is the master of the gnosis, a knower or knowing soul, and therefore not to be caught like an ignorant fish in the net. Knowledge is of the first importance. In all his journeyings and difficulties, it is necessary for the deceased to know. It is by knowledge that he is lighted to find his way in the dark. Knowledge is his lamp of light and his compass. To possess knowledge is to be master of divine powers and magical words. Ignorance would leave him a prey to all sorts of liars and wait and cunning enemies. He triumphs continually through his knowledge of the way, like a traveler with his chart and previous acquaintanceship with the local language. Hence the need of the gnosis of initiation in the mysteries. Those who knew the real name of the god were in possession of the word that represented the power over the divinity. Therefore the word of power that would be efficacious if employed. Instead of calling on the name of God in prayer, they made use of the name as the Word of God. And as those words and mysteries of magic were contained in the writings, it was necessary to know the writings in which the Gnosis was religiously preserved, to be in possession of the words of power. Hence the phrases of the great magical efficacy in the ritual are called the words that compel. They compel the favorable action of the superhuman power to which appeal is made. To make magic was to act the appeal in the language of signs which, like the words, were also intended to compel, and to act thus magically was a mode of compelling, forcing, and binding the superhuman powers. Magic was also a mode of covenanting with the power apprehended in the elements, the quid pro quo being blood. This was the most primitive form of blood covenant. Giving blood for food was giving life for the means of living. The ritual opens with a resurrection, but this is the resurrection in the earth of Amenta, not in the heaven of eternity. It is the resurrection of a body-soul emerging in the similitude of the moon god from the dark of death. The first words of the ritual are, O bull of Amenta, Osiris, it is taught the everlasting king who is here. He has come as one of the powers that fight to secure the triumph of Osiris over all his adversaries." After the life on earth, there was a resurrection in Amenta, the earth of eternity, for the human soul evolved on earth. It was there that the claim to the resurrection in spirit and to life eternal in heaven had to be made good and established by long and painful experiences and many kinds of purgatorial purification, by which the soul was perfected eventually as an ever-living spirit. The word of promise had to be performed and made truth indeed for the makeru of immortality to be earned and endless continuity of life assured. Everyone who died was in possession of a body-soul that passed into a manta to become an Osiris or an image of the god in matter, although it was not everyone who was reborn or regenerated in the likeness of Ra, to attain the Horus hood, which was portrayed as the hood of the divine hawk. Emergence in Amenta was the coming forth of the human soul from the coffin and from the gloom of the grave in some form of personality, such as is depicted in the shade or the ba, a bird of soul with the human head, which shows that a human soul is signified. Osiris, the god of Amenta in a mummy form, is thus addressed by the Osiris N or Manis. O breathless one, let me live and be saved after death. This is addressed to Osiris who lives eternally. Though lying as a mummy in manta, breathless and without motion, he will be self-resuscitated to rise again. Salvation is renewal for another life. To be saved is not to suffer the second death, not to die a second time. According to Egyptian thought, the saved are the living and the twice dead are the damned. Life after death is salvation of the soul and those not saved are those who die the second death, a fate that could not be escaped by any false belief in the merits of Horus or the efficacy of the atoning blood. There was no heaven to be secured for them by proxy. The ritual is not a book of beautiful sentiments, like the poetic literature of later times. It is a record of the things done by the dramatis personae in the Camite Mysteries, But now and again the beauty of feeling breaks out ineffably upon the face of it, as in the chapter by which the deceased prevails over his adversaries, the powers of darkness, and comes forth to the day, saying, O thou who shinest forth from the moon, thou that givest light from the moon, let me come forth at large amid thy train, and be revealed as one of those in glory. Let the tuat be opened for me, here am I. The speaker is in Amenta as a mummy soul, appealing to the Father of Lights and Lord of Spirits. that he may come forth in the character of Horus, divinized to delight the soul of his poor mother. He wishes to capitalize the desires of those who make salutations to the gods on his behalf. These in modern parlance would be the prayers of the priests and congregation, for his welfare and safety in the future life, otherwise for his salvation. Let the chapter by which one cometh forth, today he pleads, Let me have possession of all things soever which were offered ritualistically for me in the world. Let me have possession of the table of offerings which was heaped for me on earth, the solicitations which were uttered for me, that he may feed upon the bread of Seb, or the food of earth. Let me have possession of my funeral meals, the meals offered on earth for the dead in the funerary chamber. The chief object of the deceased on entering Amenta is the mode and means of getting out again as soon as possible upon the other side. His one all absorbing interest is the resurrection to eternal life. He says, Let me reach the land of ages, let me gain the land of eternity, for thou, my lord, hast destined them for me. Osiris, or the Osiris, passed into Amenta as the lord of transformations. Various changes of shape were necessitated by the various modes of progression. As a beetle or a serpent, he passed through solid earth, as a crocodile through the water, as a hawk through the air. As a jackal or a cat, he saw in the dark. As an ibis, he was the knowing one, or he of the knows. Thus he was the master of transformations, the magician of the later folktales, who could change his shape at will. Tat is termed the great magician as the lord of transformations in the moon. Thus the deceased in assuming the type of Tat becomes a master of transformation, or the magician whose transformations had also become made on earth by the transformers, in trance who pointed the way to transformation and death. When Teta comes to consciousness on rising again in Amenta, he is said to have broken his sleep forever, which was in the dwelling of Seb. That is, on the earth. He has now received his Sahu, or investiture of the glorious body. Before the mortal Manis could attain the ultimate state of spirit in the image of Horus, the immortal, he must be put together part by part, as was Osiris, the dismembered god. He is divinized in the likeness of various divinities, all of whom had been included as powers in the person of the one true god, Nebbutur, the Lord entire. Every member and part of the manis in Amenta had to be fashioned afresh in a new creation. The new heart is said to be shaped by certain gods in the netherworld, according to the deeds done in the body whilst the person was living on the earth. He assumes the glorified body that is formed feature by feature and limb after limb in the likeness of the gods until there is no part of the manis that has remained undivinized. He is given the hair of Nu, or heaven, the eyes of Hathor, ears of Apuat, nose of Kentikas, lips of Anup, teeth of Serk, neck of Isis, hands of the mighty lord of Tatu, shoulders of Neith, back of Sut, and phallus of Osiris, legs and thighs of Nut, feet of Ta, with nails and bones of the living Uri, until there is not a limb of him that is without a god. There is no possibility of coming back to earth for a new body or for a re-entry into the old mummy. As the Manis says, his soul is not bound to his old body at the gates of Amenta. Chapter 89 is designated the chapter by which the soul is united to the body. This, however, does not mean the dead body on earth, but the format or bodily type of the mummy in Amenta. Here I come, says the speaker, that I may overthrow mine adversaries upon the earth, though my dead body be buried. Let me come forth today and walk upon my own legs. Let me have the feet of the glorified. At this stage, he exclaims, I am a soul, and my soul is divine. It is the eternal force. In chapters 21 and 22, the Manis asks for his mouth, that he may speak with it having his mouth restored he asks that it may be opened by ta and that ta may loosen the fetters or muzzles of sat the power of darkness in short that he may recover the faculty of speech in the process of transforming and being renewed as the new man the second atum he says i am khepra the self-produced upon his mother's thigh khepra is the beetle type of the sun that is portrayed in pictures of the goddess nut proceeding from the mother's Kepsh, The name of the beetle signifies becoming and evolving. Hence, it is a type of the Becomer in making his transformation. The mouth being given, words of power are brought to him. He also gathers them from every quarter. Then he remembers his name. Next, the new heart is given to him. His jaws are parted, his eyes are opened. Power is given to his arms and vigor to his legs. He is in possession of his heart, his mouth, his eyes, his limbs, and his speech is now a new man reincorporated he is now a new man reincorporated in the body of a sahu with a soul that is no longer bound to the cat or dead mummy at the gates of amenta he looks forward to being fed upon the food of osiris and Aru, on the eastern side of the mead of the amaranthine flowers In one phase of the drama, the deceased is put together bone by bone in correspondence to the backbone of Osiris. The backbone was an emblem of sustaining power, and this resurrection of deceased is in the likeness of the mutilated god. The speaker at this point says, The four fastenings of the hinder part of my head are made firm. He does not fall at the block. There are, of course, seven cervical vertebrae in the backbone altogether, but three of these are peculiar the atlas which supports the head, the axis upon which the head turns, and the vertebrae prominence with its long spiral process. No doubt the Osiris was rebuilt upon this model, and the four joints were fundamental. They constituted a fourfold foundation. In another passage, the Osiris is apparently perfected upon the square, as in the Masonic Mysteries. It is the chapter by which one assumes the form of Ta, the great architect of the universe. The speaker says, He is four times the arm's length of Ra, four times the width of the world. Which is a mode of describing the four quarters or four sides of the earth as represented by the Egyptians. There were seven primary powers in the mythical and astronomical phases, six of whom are represented by zootypes, and the seventh is imaged in the likeness of a man. This is repeated in the eschatology, where the highest soul of seven is the Kaedilon, with the human face and figure as the final type of spirit, which was human on earth and is to be eternal in the heavens. The man is, who is being reconstituted, says, The seven, Uraeus, divinities, are my body. My image is eternal. As it would be when the seven souls were amalgamated into one that was imaged by the divine Ka the seven uraeus divinities represented the seven souls of life that were anterior to the one enduring soul in the chapter of propitiating one's own ka the man is says hail to thee my ka may i come to thee and be glorified and made manifest and ensouled that is in attaining the highest of the souls the unifying one these souls may be conceived as seven ascending types of personality the first is figured as the shade the dark soul or shade of the inuits The Greenlanders and other aboriginal races, which is portrayed personally in the ritual lying darkly on the ground, the shade was primary because of its being, as it were, a shadow of the old body projected on the ground in the new life. It is portrayed as a black figure stretched out in a manta. In this way, the earth shadow of the body in life served as the type of a soul that passed out of the body in death. This may explain the intimate relationship of the shade to the physical mummy, which it is sometimes said to cling to and remain within the womb, and to draw sustenance from the corpse so long as it exists. Thus, the shade that draws life from the dead body becomes the mythical prototype of the vampire and the legendary ghoul It may be difficult to determine exactly what the Egyptians understood by the kabit or shade and its genesis as a soul. But the Inuit, Lucians, describe it as a vapor emanating from the blood. And here is wisdom for those who comprehend it. The earliest human soul, derived from the mother when the blood was looked upon as the life, was a soul of blood. And the Inuit description answers perfectly to the shade in the Egyptian Amenta. Amongst the most primitive races, the typical basis of a future personality is the shade. The Aleutians say that the soul at its departure divides into the shade and the spirit. The first dwells in the tomb, the other ascends to the firmament. These, wherever met, are with equivalent to the twin souls of Sut, the dark one, and Horus, the soul of light. For we reckon the Egyptian seven to be the earliest and old enough to account for and explain the rest, which are to be found dispersed about the world. The soul, as shade or shadow, is known to the Makusi Indians as the man in the eyes, who does not die. This is another form of the shadow that was not cast upon the ground. Dr. Birch drew attention to the fact that whilst the deceased has but one Ba, one Sahu, and one Ka, he has two shades, his Kapti being in the plural. These two correspond to the dark and light shades of the Aborigines. They also conform to the two souls of darkness and light that were imaged by the black vulture and the golden hawk of Sut and Horus, the first two of the total septenary of powers or souls. The shade, however, is but one seventh of the series. The other self, when perfected, consists of seven amalgamated souls. Some of the manis and amenta do not get beyond the state of the shade or kabit. They are arrested in this condition of mummied immobility. They do not acquire the new heart or soul of breath. They remain in the egg, unhatched, and do not become the Ba-soul or the glorified Ku. These are the souls that are said to be eaten by certain of the gods or infernal powers. Eater of the Shades is the title of the fourth and forty-two executioners. The tenth of the mystical books in Amenta is the place of the monstrous arms that capture and carry away the Manis, who have not attained a condition beyond that of the shade or empty shell. The shells of the Theosophist may be met with in the ritual. The Manis who is fortified with his divine soul can pass this place in safety. He says, Let no one take possession of my shade. Let no one take possession of my shell or envelope. I am the divine hawk. He has issued from the shell of the egg and been established beyond the status of the shade as a basol. With this may be compared the superstition that in eating eggs one should always break up the empty shell, lest it should be made evil, used by the witches. There are wretched shades condemned to immobility in the fifth of the mystical abode. They suffer their final arrest in that place and position and are then devoured by the giants who live as eaters of the shades. These monsters are described as having high bones seven cubits long. No mere shade has power enough to pass by these personifications of devouring might. They are the ogres of legendary lore, who may be found at home with the ghoul and the vampire in the dark caverns of the Egyptian underworld. These were the dead whose development in spirit world was arrested at the status of the shade and who were supposed to seek the life they lacked by haunting and preying upon human souls, particularly on the soul of blood. In its next stage, the soul is called Ba, and is represented as a hawk with a human head, to show that the nature of the soul is human still. This is more than a soul of shade, but it was not imaged nor believed that the human soul as such inhabited the body of a bird. In one of the hells, the shades are seen burning, but these were able to resist the fire, and it is consequently said, the shades live; they have raised their powers; they are raised in status by assimilating higher powers. Following his taking possession of the soul of shade and the soul of light, the Osiris is given a new heart, his whole or twofold heart. With some of the primitive folk, as with the Basutos, it is the heart that goes out in death, as the soul that never dies, Bobadilla learned from the Indians of Nicaragua, that there are two different hearts, that one of these went away with the deceased in death, and that it was the heart that went away which made them live hereafter. This other breathing heart, the basis of the future being, is one with the Egyptian heart, by which the reconstituted person lives again. The heart that was weighed in the Hall of Judgment— could not have been the organ of life on earth. This was a second heart, the heart of another life. The manes makes appeal for this heart not to bear evidence against him in the presence of the god, who is at the balance. The second is the heart that was fashioned anew according to the life lived in the body, that is said to be the heart of the great god Tehuti, who personated intelligence. Therefore, it would seem to typify the soul of intelligence. Hence it is said to be young and keen of insight among the gods, or among the seven souls. The physical representation comes first, but it is said in the text of Panchamesis, the conscience or heart of a man is his own god or divine judge. The new heart represents rebirth and is therefore called the mother. And when the deceased recovers the basis of future being in his whole heart, he says, although he is buried in the deep, deep grave, and bowed down to the region of annihilation, he is glorified even there. Now, if we take the shade to image a soul of blood, the bahak to image a soul of light, and the hati heart to represent a soul of breath, we can perceive a raison d'etre for the offering of blood, of lights, and of incense as sacrifices to the manis in three different phases or states. Blood was generally offered to the shades, as we see in survival among the Greeks and Romans. The shade was in the first stage of the past existence, the most needing in Amenta, the blood which was the life on earth and held to be of first necessity for the revivifying of the dead as manes or shades. The sekim was one of the souls or powers. It is difficult to identify this with a type and place in the seven. Pro tem, we call it fourth of the series. It is more important to know what force it represents. The name is derived from the word chem, for potency. Chem in physics signifies erectile power. The man of thirty years, as typical adult, is kemp. Sekem denotes having the power or potency of the erectile force. In the eschatological phase, it is the reproducing, formative power of chem or amsu to re-erect the power of erection being applied to the spirit in fashioning and vitalizing the new and glorious body for the future resurrection from mementa. The Ku is the soul in which the person has attained the status of the pure in spirit called the glorified. Represented in the likeness of a beautiful white bird, the Ka is a type of eternal duration in which the sevenfold personality is unified at last for permanent or everlasting life. Thank you for listening to this sample. To continue listening to this book and for access to all of our other full audiobooks, please subscribe for seven seventy-seven per month. Go to adultbrain.ca or follow the link in the show notes. This will be a completely separate podcast with a new RSS feed and will have all the titles from this feed as well. Thank you for your help and support in bringing rare and forgotten books to audio for the world.